Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Rocking Realities. Today, we have a very special guest. We were joined by Greg Fox, the composer, keyboardist, and um, founder of the band Renaissance Rock Orchestra. He has so many cool stories to tell. Definitely don't forget to check out his music and his videos. Also, don't forget to subscribe to our channel so you won't miss any new interviews. And also follow us on Facebook and Instagram to stay updated on what we are up to. But for now, enjoy the show and have fun watching the interview. Hi, Lily. Hi. Hi. How, how are you doing? I am doing very, very good. How are you? Pretty good. Yeah, I can't complain at all. Just uh, very busy doing a lot of uh, business for our residency here in Las Vegas. Yeah. Trying to get things together on that. But uh, let's see, why am I not centered there? <laughs> Hang on. I'll get it together here in a second. It's <laughs> <laughs> cool with me. <laughs> can you see my logo back there? Yeah, I can see it. That's, That's pretty cool. cool. Yeah. All right, cool. Yeah, when we start talking, I'll go like this so everybody can see it. <laughs> <laughs> well, I usually have, have a co-host with me, my brother wins, but he called me yeah. earlier and let me know that he can't make it today. Something with his car and he has to get it fixed. Oh, but no. he says hi and, and he would have loved to be here. <laughs> oh, good, good. Well, I'm sorry I didn't have a chance to meet him. Yeah, well, maybe what, another time. <laughs> what part of Germany are you in? In Bavaria. Right now I'm in Munich. Yeah. I'm actually from like right beside the, the border to Czech Republic. That's where I'm actually from. But I study okay. here in Munich, so I'm in Munich right now. Awesome. Awesome. Very cool. Well, thank you very much. I appreciate uh, being on your show. Rock well, and realities. Thank you. Yeah. Rock and realities, right? Yeah, that's right. Cool. Yeah. <laughs> now, when do you think you will air this, Lily? Oops. Uh-oh, I had a crash and burn. Standby. <laughs> um, ah. well, probably sometime over the weekend, even on Saturday or on Sunday. Oh, cool. Well, awesome. Be sure and let us know so that we can uh, yeah, yeah, of course. post it on all of our socials. My tripod fell over. <laughs> <laughs> Standby. That's funny. That's the first time that happened. Okay. Get this reset here. <laughs> <laughs> there, I think that works, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah, it works. Looks good. Okay, right on. Cool. <laughs> All right. So I thought we should go back um, to the beginning of your career. I know that yes. you started playing at the age of five. So what what made you want to play keyboards at the age of five? That's really early. It's really young. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I come from a very, very musical family, and uh, there was always a piano in the house. So when I was a toddler and I was like two years old, I was always crawling up and playing on the piano. And, and when I could actually climb up on the bench, I'd be sitting there at three and at four. But uh, mom and dad always uh, I have, have a very, very musical family. My mom played piano in church and organ in church. My dad was the choir director in church. And we were always singing around the house and around the piano all the time. So mom and dad just really wanted me to get started early and to, to have a uh, really extensive uh, early background on piano. So, yeah, they got me started when I was five years old. There was a guy in our church who was a kind of a young kid. I remember his name was Kurt. 
Kurt Brookshire, I think it was. And he was just an unbelievable pianist. And he inspired me a lot. He became my first piano teacher when mom and dad got me taking piano lessons when I was, when I was five years old. Yeah. So of course it took years and years and years to, uh, to really develop the skills to start enjoying it a lot. And you know how it is when you're a kid and you're supposed to practice an hour a day when you want to be out outside playing and riding bikes and stuff. So, uh, that was a little difficult for, for mom to keep me at it for a while when I didn't want to do it. But then as those skills started to develop, I had this just natural inclination to write music. So I literally started writing at eight and nine years old, little pieces of my own. And that continued through junior high school and, and high school and, and throughout my entire life, of course. So yeah, I really appreciate that early, early background on piano. Yeah, but if you started writing at eight, that's also <laughs> really young. I don't know a lot of people who started write, actually writing music when they were kids. That's amazing. Yes, yes. I always, I always just love to write my own little ditties and my own little melodies and little ideas for songs. But that really started coming together very well in, in early, you know, early junior high school, I guess, you know, around seventh grade, I suppose. Uh, was when I started really actually writing songs that that would be kind of like considered pop songs and rock songs. Um, I wasn't really allowed to listen to a lot of rock and roll when I was young because uh, my family was so strict about that. But uh, when I did start listening, I was immediately, you know, first it was the Beatles, the Beatles and Elton John and things like that. And then I went straight to Led Zeppelin And uh, that was, has always been my favorite band since, since beginning to listen to Led Zeppelin back in the early days. You know, I've had some really remarkable experiences over the years with, with members of Led Zeppelin, which is kind of amazing. And uh, when I started working with some of the members in the band Hearts uh, in the 80s, there was a couple things that happened. Well, even before that, I had a, a cover band that played in one of the most popular places in Seattle, right on the water. It was called Pier 70 back then. And it was straight up the hill from the Seattle Coliseum where Led Zeppelin would play all the time. And I remembered that, uh, gosh, what was it? Maybe 87, I'm thinking, that Led Zeppelin was playing there. And Robert Plant had just released his, his uh, solo record, I think with the Honey Drippers, right? I don't know if you recall that or not. But he had a song called Long Tall One. I think it was called, that had all these samples of all the guitar parts and all the Zeppelin songs. And it was so cool. And I was one of the first guys in Seattle that had this, uh, a keyword called an emulator that would actually sample sounds. So I sampled all these things from all these records, just like Robert Plant's solo record at the time. And we were, because I, I figured there was a chance that he actually might come in because often the bands would, get done doing their concerts, they'd come down the hill to the biggest club in Seattle. And sure enough, Robert Plant walked in and got up on stage with us and sang that song. Oh my oh, God. That's pretty damn cool. <laughs> oh my God. It was like an ultimate bucket list kind of experience. And uh, then later on in the 80s, when I was uh, doing some things with some of the people in Hearts and, and, and hanging around Bad Animal Studio in Seattle a lot, Uh, the girls had, they had kind of gone to an acoustic thing. They were doing an acoustic version of the show that 
John Paul Jones was producing. So I had a chance to meet uh, John Paul Jones at the time. And I actually played him some of my music that I was writing for that ended up being in a band that I had in Seattle called Sister Mary with Pamela Moore, the, the gal that sang uh, uh, Sweet Sister Mary on Operation Mindcrime with Queensryche. And uh, that band was called Sister Mary. And th- some of the songs that I was writing that I played for John Paul Jones, and, and I had a chance to play that for, some, for him. And he went, sounds a lot like our band. And I was like going, yes, yeah. Very, very fun. Yeah. So those are those are my two awesome Led Zeppelin experiences in life. Yeah. You play in a, in a Zeppelin cover band as well, don't you? I do, as a matter of fact. Yeah. It's the Moby Dick's Led Zeppelin All-Stars here in Las Vegas. And uh, it's an amazing band. We Over the years, we've had a lot of different All-Stars come in and play with the band, uh, including Frankie Benali from Quiet Riot. Rest in peace, Frankie. We miss you. But uh, Vinny Apice from Black Sabbath and from uh, and uh, from uh, well, Dio, of course, uh, has played with us also. Our main drummer is Brian Tishy, and Brian's my drummer in Renaissance Rock Orchestra, live and on my records. Uh, although I should say that our second Renaissance Rock Orchestra record, which is called In Times of Old. Uh, which is on Spotify and all your streaming platforms. That record actually had 27 different rock stars on it. And uh, the drummers on it were just amazing, uh, including Vinny Apice, including Alan White from Yes, including Ben Smith from Hearts, uh, Brent Fitz from Slash, uh, gosh, uh, Brian Tishy, of course, Roxy Petrucci from Vixen was very cool. And Simon Wright from ACDC played the last song on that record, a song called uh, uh, The Maker of Dreams that I had Tony Harnell from TNT do the vocals on. So that record is a very interesting record to to listen to because it has so many different uh, rock stars and artists from so many bands that you know and love. Uh, The guitar players on that record are pretty phenomenal. Also, I have uh, George Lynch from Dokken and Lynch Mob, one of the top rated guitar players in the world. and also Joel Hoekstra from Whitesnake and Cher and, and Trans-Siberian Orchestra, uh, which I think is a group you guys don't know about back there in Germany because uh, they're primarily known as kind of a classical metal band that does a Christmas show here in the U.S. that is, that is huge. We've been enjoying them for about 15 years, although the last few years they've been doing less and less. That's kind of where I got my original inspiration for the Renaissance Rock Orchestra. Because <laughs> <laughs> I went out and saw Trans-Siberian Orchestra and I was going, wow, that is really awesome. Because it was this blend of classical music and, uh, and metal and rock and roll that I just loved. Uh, although it was mostly Christmas. So I was thinking about that going, wow, well, it'd be pretty cool if we take out the Christmas and we put in rock stars. We do that same type of, of material. So originally when I put this uh, to put Renaissance Rock Orchestra together, it was kind of a TSO template, Trans-Siberian Orchestra. You can hear them, of course, uh, everywhere online if you're not familiar with them. But so a lot of the songs from the first record were uh, instrumental songs that are classical metal. And there's some on our second record in times of old also. So that's where it all started. And 
And I was thinking, of course, that since they were doing arenas and, and performing in front of 30,000 people and every Christmas during, you know, the 90 days, they would start playing in November and sometimes they would play through, you know, through January. They would play in, they would probably bring in about $60 million in ticket sales. And, uh, and I was thinking to myself, wow, well, investors are really going to like this because there's only one of them and they only play in the United States. So my original plan was, yeah, people are going to really dig this, this genre that TSO has created and I'll take it further and I'll add the rock star aspect to it and lots of amazing vocalists, which, uh, uh, on our second record, well, actually on the first record, I, I had Robin McCauley from uh, McCauley Shanker Group, uh, who has been touring with Michael Shanker for, for many years now also. An amazing voice. And he played, he sang on a song called The Author of Mystery, which is kind of a favorite for a lot of our fans and followers. So uh, check out The Author of Mystery on Spotify or whatever your streaming platform is. And that's Robin McCauley singing that. On the last record, he sang three songs, uh, including a song that I wrote for my girlfriend who passed away in 2015, Monique. And that's a song called To Be With You. But also on that record, I brought in, as I mentioned, Tony Harnell from TNT. We had uh, Mark Bowles from Ingve Malmsteen, Ted Nugent, and Dawkin, who is now our primary singer. Mark Bowles, he's just absolutely amazing. And so on our last record, A Song of Hope, see if I can do this right here. It's kind of hard to go backwards. A Song of Hope yeah. was our last release. And that was what I wrote during COVID. And uh, so the songs on the record are very, I tried to make them inspirational. A lot of them touch on subjects and issues that have to do with uh, uh, the loss and all the fear that we all were experiencing during the pandemic and still are. But uh, the title track, A Song of Hope, has, uh, is one of my proudest moments as a songwriter. You know, as a songwriter, you're always trying to really reach people emotionally and, and touch some kind of nerve within them that moves them. And A Song of Hope really seems to do that. It's the last song on our, our latest uh, our latest record, A Song of Hope 2020, This Too Shall Pass is the name of that, that record. And I've been releasing it slowly as singles on Spotify and all the streaming platforms. And you should be able to hear the title track, A Song of Hope, uh, on most of those uh, streaming platforms at this point. And I'll be releasing the, the other songs off that record uh, over a course of like every month, every two months, I try to release one. And so, uh, of course, I'm writing for our fourth record right now, which I think is going to be called Magic in the Air and excited about some of these new songs that I'm writing for that. But, yeah, definitely go back and check out our second release in Times of Old, which has so many brilliant, brilliant artists on it. It's really a groundbreaking record. And our last record, uh, the first release off of Song of Hope is a song called uh, In My Loving Arms. And that's being released worldwide right now through Curtain Call Records. I'm very excited about the affiliation with Curtain Call Records. And so, so yeah, you can hear that on a, a lot of digital platforms out around the world right now. That song is really fascinating because the guitars on that one are, are done by Michael James Romeo from Symphony X. Are you familiar with Symphony X? Yeah. 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 Great, great band. He's a brilliant writer. 
Uh, he's doing a lot of film work and uh, writing music for TV and film a lot these days. But I was able to bring him in. My original idea was that I was going to have him do the entire album. Uh, the new record, A Song of Hope, I kind of used a little bit different concept for the record than I did off uh, In Times of Old, the second release, where I had 27 different artists and a different drummer on every song, a different singer on every song, a different guitar player on every song. Oh, by the way, on that record, I almost forgot to tell you, but I also have Bumblefoot from Guns N' Roses yeah. on In Times of Old. And he plays on a song called My Lonely Heart. And the guitar solo is, is really groundbreaking and, and remarkable. He's a real wizard on, on guitar. And so on A Song of Hope, the, top, the, uh, the first track, our first release, In My Love and Arms, I have Michael James Romeo. And it starts off with this amazing arpeggio guitar buildup riff that is just mind-blowing. And the solo is crazy, crazy cool. Michael James Romeo was, uh, well, Burn Magazine calls him one of the top 10 metal guitar players in rock history. So uh, to have him on the record, and he, and he placed three songs on the record, A Song of Hope, which is very cool. And originally I was going to have him do all of them, but with the pandemic and not going out and touring with Symphony X and other things, he got so busy doing soundtracks and a lot of commercial work that uh, I ended up having to bring in two different guitar players to finish the record. But Michael does uh, the first three songs on A Song of Hope. Uh, and then I brought in Tony Alleman from Juan Crucier's Rat and his original project, Vile of Sin, to play on a really cool track called Circus Life, which is uh, a lot like Queen. It has some beautiful, beautiful harmonies on it, just like Freddie Mercury would do. And Mark Bowles just killed on that song. And I had Tony Alleman play the guitar solo on that, very much like a Brian May solo would be where he multi-tracks individual notes on the solo so they're all harmonizing together i think that he ended up doing like 12 or 14 tracks for the solo in a song called circus life so yeah that's also out on spotify and all the streaming platforms so go check that out on circuit on uh, on, on spotify and apple music etc and then our last guitar player that i brought in for the new record a song of hope was christian brady from hell yeah and uh, he played a couple songs on the record, including uh, a song called Universal Dance, where he does some really David Gilmore-ish, Pink Floyd blues uh, lines that are just beautiful. And then him and Tony together uh, played double guitar harmonies and a lot of brilliant stuff in the title track, A Song of Hope. <laughs> <laughs> So uh, how do you decide who you want on the record? Are these all people that you've played with before? Or is it that uh, there are some people that you really do want a collaboration with that you haven't played with before? Or are these all friends of yours? Uh, well, yes, at this point, they're certainly all friends of mine. And uh, I've had such an amazing experience. I, I moved to Las Vegas, uh, well, I guess 11 years now at this point. And the things that happened for me so quickly here in Las Vegas, I should I should actually kind of uh, <clears throat> give you the backstory before Las Vegas, because it's kind of an interesting story. Uh, after I was done working with the, the people in Hearts, the people in Queensryche up in Seattle, I moved to uh, Phoenix, Arizona. 
and I didn't play music for a while because I, it felt like in the early 90s that, that rock was kind of dying, particularly for me as a keyboard player, because everything had moved to alternative and to grunge and nobody was using keyboards very much. They were, you know, four piece bands without keyboards, et cetera, et cetera. So I left Seattle. I moved to uh, to Phoenix, Arizona, and I actually got involved uh, doing timber deals internationally. And, and I went down and and uh, I was in the middle of a, buying 13,000 acres of property in Belize, South America, that had a lot of mahogany on it. And the plan at the time was that we were going to log 300 trees out of 13,000 acres and save the 13,000 acres and build an ecotourism resort, right? So I went down and I was actually, uh, it was so amazing. I was living in the hut with a Mayan Indian chief that lived on the opposite side of uh, my property. And he was taking me out through the jungle uh, every day, trying to find these mahogany trees. And it was just a, a fascinating experience. We actually accidentally came upon Mayan ruins that were on the property that nobody really knew existed there and that I didn't know were there when we purchased the property. But uh, uh, it, it was like, it was like being in Raiders of the Lost Ark. It was the most amazing experience going through the rainforest and uh, uh, snakes and jaguars and all kinds of crazy, crazy things. But after, so I was in Phoenix doing that, doing that project because my investors, which were called Caribbean Land and Cattle Company in Phoenix, uh, had taken me down to Phoenix. And, and I wasn't playing music for a while. I ended up uh, getting in a band that was just amazing in Phoenix called uh, Superhero. And uh, with some mind-blowing people, we were doing a lot of Queensryche, a lot of covers, just cover stuff. But uh, it was after that that I decided to buy a sailboat and sail around the Bahamas for a while. Yeah, because, you know, there just wasn't a lot going on in, in the music industry for me at the time. And uh, I didn't want to just be in a cover band. And so I sailed around the Bahamas for seven years on my own sailboat. So it was an amazing experience. That, that experience really changed me a lot. That's what ended up uh, taking me to Las Vegas, ultimately, after sailing around the Bahamas and experiencing hurricanes. And uh, it changed me as a person. And I started writing again a lot more. I didn't have a keyboard on the boat, but that experience really drove me to get back to my music. And so when I got off the sailboat, I immediately moved to uh, Venice Beach, California. I was living in a beautiful house right on the Grand Canal right there. And, and uh, while I was back in the music business back in uh, L.A., it was less than 90 days that Foreigner asked me to go on tour with them. So some amazing things happened. And I was starting to write lots and lots of music that ended up being music that the Renaissance Rock Orchestra has put on its last three records. I didn't actually end up going on tour with Foreigner because they ended up hiring like the best friend of the keyboard player and he just walked in. But that was a kind of an amazing experience because I spent, you know, I'm a Korg endorsed keyboard player. And so I've been programming Korg synthesizers for years and years and years. So I have a lot of probably one of the best programmers there is out there on Korg keyboards. And that's an important thing for me as a as a songwriter and a keyboard player to develop my own sounds, sounds that are very unique and that fit stylistically what I'm trying to say musically in my songs. But so when I was trying to program all those foreigner songs, 
you know, the intro of uh, waiting for a girl like you, very difficult to try to capture that. I spent about three weeks trying to just program one sound for the beginning of that song. Like this is like oh. eight hours a day, just dialing this all in and trying to perfect it. And, and Foreigner showed me that they, they actually liked it better than the record, even though I didn't end up going out on tour with them, which was, which was a little bit heartbreaking at the time. But uh, destiny being what it is, fate being what it is, that's what ended up bringing me to ultimately to Las Vegas. Uh, my best friend and my bass player from uh, Superhero, the band in Phoenix, was uh, a guy by the name of Mikey Bones. And Mikey Bones had moved from Phoenix to Las Vegas. And he said, Greg, you've got to come to Las Vegas. we got to put a show together. And so I started making some trips out to Las Vegas. And, and the scene in Las Vegas was incredible at the time. It still is. But all of the uh, all the classic rock guys from the 80s were moving out of L.A. and moving to Las Vegas because of taxes and, and uh, property expenses, expenses in general. And so Las Vegas was a lot more affordable. And so I moved to Las Vegas and I started immediately doing a lot of really great things. There was uh, at the time I started performing for uh, something called the Rock Gods Hall of Fame Awards. And we were performing at a lot of different venues here in Las Vegas. But the neat thing about that was we would bring in all of these guys like Bumblefoots, Chris Slade from ACDC, the drummer from ACDC, uh, Vinny Apice, and uh, we would give them, uh, you know, career awards and put them in the Rock Gods Hall of Fame. And so I was doing a lot of those shows. And that's where I first started to meet a lot of these classic rockers. You know, I had been out sailing for seven years. I'd been out in the music business. So it was nice to reconnect with a lot of these guys. And uh, of course, during that experience, I developed relationships and friendships with them where when I started putting together Renaissance Rock Orchestra in 2012, I was able to call them up and say, hey, what do you think of this? Would you like to do a track? And I was so blessed and so fortunate that they heard this music and went, wow, that is really, really amazing music. I would love to be a part of this. And they loved the concept. Um, I also started doing a lot of performances at the NAMM show in Anaheim, California. I'm not sure if you're familiar with the NAMM show. Yeah, yeah, I know. Been, I've never been there, but I know it, yes. Oh, yeah, it's an amazing, amazing experience. Uh, every every rocker in the world comes to the NAMM show because uh, it's a, a trade event that has all the newest gear. You know, every every amp company, every guitar company, every keyboard company, uh, on and on and on. It's it's actually, they, they say it's the largest convention in the world. And so I started going to that every year and did some amazing things at NAMM where I would, uh, I was performing at uh, something called the Legends, the Legends Concert Series. And at those uh, concerts, I was playing with Nico from Iron Maiden and, and Alan White from Yes, and the artists from Bad Company and Sean Payne from Asia, uh, Blue Oyster Cult. And so I started to meet a lot of those guys and, and that was an amazing experience performing with them. But I also started performing at a show put on by my current drummer, Brian Tishy called Bonzo Bash. Uh, and uh, that's uh, a crazy cool thing because it's a uh, kind of a memorial event to John Bonham from Led Zeppelin. And at Bonzo Bash events, I started performing with, all of the finest drummers in the world from every band. Every year there would be a list and we would play for hours and hours 
with drummers, every drummer in the world, the finest drummers in the world. And so, uh, so that kind of just extended that list of potential resources for uh, Renaissance rock. So all of these things I've been able to tie in together to bring in these artists on the last three records that we, we use with Renaissance Rock Orchestra, uh, including a bucket list thing for me, being a keyboard player and being a big prog rock fan, you know, loving uh, Yes and uh, Emerson, Lake and Palmer and Jethro Tull and music like that. Uh, it, for me, Yes is actually my favorite music because it's very inspiring. And that collaboration of those artists that are so talented uh, has created music that is remarkably unique for me as a keyboard player. And uh, so for me to end up having Alan White, the drummer from Yes, play on one of my records was just a mind-blowing thing, a bucket list thing. And uh, Alan played on the last record in Times of Old on a song called Secrets in the Sand, if you want to go check it out. That's on Spotify and Robin McCauley sings on that one. So uh, yeah, it's uh, it's been an amazing experience putting this music and this project together. And now, of course, we're at the point that we're starting to perform a, a lot live, although we really are not performing a lot yet. We did our, our public debut performance here in Las Vegas, July 29th, which was an amazing, amazing event. And we had people come from all around the United States that have been following the project for years that that I got to meet. I never even knew they were out there. And thank you all for, for coming to that show. People from Texas, and Connecticut, and Seattle. And, uh, that was just a really amazing event to do. And we're going to be doing a lot more of these shows in Las Vegas. One of my uh, plans and visions for the band over the years has always been to have a residency here in Las Vegas. And part of the reason for that is that, you know, touring is very expensive. It's very difficult to do that for an unknown, unbranded band that doesn't have, a, you know, millions of followers yet. So I figured that the best way to build the show and to build the, the awareness, because people from all around the world love to come to Las Vegas. And so, so my plan has always been to, to start the band live here in Las Vegas, where we can stay in one spot and have a residency in a casino, a major showroom on the strip is my goal. And to have a huge full orchestra performing Renaissance rock orchestra music, that's the ultimate goal. It'll take a while to get there. But uh, so to get that started and to do our debut public performance July 29th is a very exciting thing. And, and I'm in negotiations now with uh, some of the radio stations here in town and some of the production companies and a lot of the casinos. So we're just trying to decide where we're going to go and how we're going to start. But that's going to be happening very soon, probably by the end of October. We're going to kind of get this thing rolling on a regular basis. Yeah, that's great. It's really cool. But do you think, is, is there any chance that you're going to come to Europe as well? I know right now it's still difficult for American artists to come over. But yeah. when, when touring is, is easier, can you think there's any chance that you're going to come over? You know, I have a hard time imagining that we wouldn't. That's also been a thing that I've always had in kind of my back pocket uh, as a plan B, if, if, if you will, for Renaissance Rock Orchestra. And the reason for that is I really feel that, that Europe and uh, just the rock listeners there, They, what I write, I think, is, is music that 
that they really grasp and understand and appreciate a lot more than a lot of people in the U.S. do at this point. You know, in the U.S., uh, it's it's difficult to kind of gain, gain traction with this style of music and metal. Of course, there's a few festivals here that we have, but of course, Europe has so many festivals, and this is a perfect perfect project to to do festivals and yes i i would absolutely love to and i'm sure that we will i think that europe would really not only embrace the style of music and this classical metal genre but also the artists that i have you know this this concept of a revolving door of rock stars where i can bring in so many different singers and guitar players and and drummers and I, I think you would all really enjoy that and love that over there and so i have reached out to several touring companies and i'm still negotiating with them that hasn't happened as of yet and of course the pandemic and the whole covid thing uh has really struck a huge blow to to all of us in the music business worldwide uh, but to live music and touring particularly so yeah you're you're absolutely correct about that that it's a difficult time right now and i'm not sure how fast none of us know of course how fast that's going to open and how how fast we could potentially do that but i would i would really love to and i i think that i think that europe will embrace renaissance rock orchestra music what do you think yeah, I think so too. And I'm definitely going to come to your show when you come over. <laughs> yeah. So there's yeah, gonna good. be me. <laughs> yeah, good. You know, I, I just I just realized here as we were talking that I'm blocking our awesome, awesome logo. So nobody's had a chance to be able to see it. <laughs> so I'm gonna move out, out of the way here just for a minute so you can actually see our awesome yeah. Renaissance Rock Orchestra logo. This was done by a guy out in L.A. who is a, a remarkable bass player, but a brilliant graphic artist. His name is Damien Valentine. And I just I just love the Renaissance Rock Orchestra logo. Isn't that cool? Yeah, it's it's great. Yes, it's really cool. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I think you're the one who's writing all of the songs, right? Or That's correct. Yeah. So what are your inspirations when you're writing songs? Yeah, uh, you know, it's always different. I write all of the music and I write all of the lyrics also. And lyrics are always harder than music for me. Although there's times that you get you get that concept and it just flows out of you. And, uh, and of course, some of those songs, the easy ones to, to write lyrically, a lot of times end up being being the best ones because they, they seem to be somehow divinely inspired, whatever you want to call it. They just, uh, a song that comes together that quickly, lyrically, uh, a lot of times is very strong. Uh, the music for me is so second nature. And, and once again, you know, I, I don't want to get crazy or bizarre about it, but I, you know, I, I feel like, this vision that I have for Renaissance Rock Orchestra and the music that I write uh, is, is somehow inspired from some higher power because it right from the start from record number one, I, I, it was, it was like almost like a gift that was given to me. I just started playing and it flows out of me. Every time I sit at a piano or at a keyboard, uh, I, I write a new song. Um, I'm just in this, this really inspirational period and have been for you know, several years now where 
musical ideas just come to me so quickly. And, and I guess that's years and years and years of playing. Uh, a lot of it's also is inspired from all my influences, of course. So that music that's, that I've been listening to my whole life is, is kind of in my DNA. You know, it feels like it's become a part of, of every cell in my being. And so that, that permeates all the, all the music instrumentally, every note, it just seems to come out of me. So you hear a lot of different, uh, different styles of my music, whether it's Queen, whether it's Led Zeppelin, whether it's Kansas, whether it's Iron Maiden, whether it's Elton John, all of that, little bits of that you'll find everywhere throughout my music. And so, so I usually start with the music and try to create the form of the piece, uh, uh, develop the, the shape of, of the song itself, the intro, the, the verses, the choruses. And a lot of it is, you know, very progressive rock, very progressive metal sounding. Uh, the stylistically the sound of Renaissance rock orchestra music, because, because I do write it as a keyboard player. I think a lot of people find it very different, very interesting these days, because most bands and most songs come from guitars. Well, songwriters write on guitar. And as, as great and cool and heavy and rock as that is, and I love a lot of it, but it ends up sounding a little bit one dimensional. Uh, it sounds a lot the same because uh, the keyboard offers so much more movement uh, tonally in between keys and to, to different, different dynamics emotionally. So I think that affects our music a lot. Uh, of course, uh, the next step that I do is I, I send it, uh, usually I send it to Brian so he can throw a drum track on it so that the guitar players have this, you know, so they understand the groove, you know, what it's supposed to be. And, you know, what, what the tempo and the power of the piece is. But that's when it really starts to come together when the guitars get added to it. And a lot of times it takes a completely different tangent and becomes uh, something that I had no idea it would be. And, and I love that. Now, as things move forward in our songwriting, I really, really look forward to a lot more collaborative uh, writing throughout the members of the band, whoever they may, may be at the time, whoever I want to bring in to, to finish writing and recording a record. Because I would really love to just sit and uh, collaborate with my guitar players first so that uh, a lot of the songs do have a lot more heavy rock guitar sort of a feel to them. But, but you know, we end up getting that in the end, even the way we're, the, the way we're writing it right now. But when I first started songwriting and uh, my very first band was a band called Pegasus. And then I was in a band uh, called Icarus and uh, it was all original material. And we would just sit in our studio that we had built in Seattle, Washington and just spend days, days and weeks and weeks writing. And ah, oh, that, you know, for me, the writing experience, the creative process is, is my favorite thing. I love to perform. But writing and creating that song is a timeless experience. It's, it's kind of uh, when I feel closest to, to whatever you would call God or the universe. Uh, you just, you, the time stands still. And uh, this is this beautiful, timeless experience of creation that, that I, I find very intoxicating. It's, it's my favorite thing to do is to write. So, yeah, I look forward to a time when we can all come together and, and just block out some time in a, in a studio 
and write the songs. You know, a lot of bands that do that nowadays, um, uh, as an example, I'll say the Dead Daisies. I'm not sure if you're familiar with them or not. They have yeah. Glenn Hughes. Yeah, Glenn Hughes singing for them now. And uh, Doug Aldridge, a good friend of mine, who I've not gotten on a Renaissance Rock Orchestra record yet, but whom I performed with dozens and dozens of times. Uh, but, you know, they, they go into the studio and uh, they, they will write a record and record a record in a couple of weeks, right? Which is, is wonderful to be able to create that fast and to come up with material. But so I look forward to having an experience where I have time with my guys to go into a studio. And I'm sure with the material that we do, it would take longer than a couple of weeks. But, uh, you know, if we were to block out a month or a month and a half to write and record all together, where we're all in the same room. And, you know, you're going to catch uh, the music's even going to become more complex and, and richer uh, sonically and, and tonally when we have so many more influences actually creating every aspect of every song. So that's another goal of mine that I can't wait to do. Yeah, I can imagine that those would be really cool songs because you have all those different peoples and the different influences and they all come together. Absolutely. I Absolutely. could imagine that would be a pretty cool album. So you definitely should do that. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. I can't wait to do that. I don't think we'll get to that point on our next album, on our fourth record. It will probably still just pretty much be me. Although I've been thinking about trying to get uh, Mark, our singer, Mark Bowles, involved a lot more in the songwriting so that he's a part of what he's singing lyrically so you know so it projects and, and presents you know feelings that are actually coming from him i'd love to have that happen on our next record so i'll be sending him some ideas lyrically for him to develop and, and musically for him to start writing and you know he did start all the artists do bring their own flavor and flair to the songs there are times that that i will say to to christian or Some of my other guitar players, this is what I want the song to be. I want it to be this timing. I, I want it to be this chunky thing here. I want you to go into an arpeggiated thing here. Um, so I, I do give them some ideas. And every now and then I'll actually send them charts with notes. This is precisely how I want this part to go. For instance, I did that for Tony Alleman on Circus Life on a, a record, A Song of Hope for the Brian May solo. But then uh, Tony took it. And he took it to a whole nother level. He took it beyond what I had actually written note-wise to another thing. So it was brilliant. And Mark did the same thing. Also, I was sending him charts of what I wanted the background harmonies to be. And he added a lot of things. He added layer upon layer and a lot of different notes that really took it once again to a whole new level. So that, that, that does happen on our records. It happened a lot more on a song of hope, but you know, it, Even on In Times of Old, our second record, you know, I'll send these songs to all the different players. And Joel Hoekstra, for instance, uh, you know, he wrote his guitar parts in uh, The Maker of Dreams, the last track on In Times of Old. So, yeah, you, you still do get that collaborative effect where they're bringing their experiences, their own individual styles to the individual songs. And it's kind of a neat thing, particularly on a... a a record like in times of old where you have 27 well-known rock artists. So all the songs end up having this completely different feel, but I wanted to change that on a song of hope and kind of develop more of a core band because I knew that we were going to be transitioning into doing live shows. And I wanted to have that core band for our live shows. One of the things uh, 
on a song, The Pope, that was kind of a neat thing was to bring in uh, our bassist, Greg Smith, who did every track on, on that record. Greg Smith plays for, well, he just finished doing an album with Ted Nugent. He's played for Ted for years and Alice Cooper, Alan Parsons, Rainbow Dokken, uh, his he's an amazing bass player, great, great guy. So, and he was very good friends with Mikey Bones, who I mentioned earlier when we were talking about my bass player, Mikey Bones Phoenix. Mikey and I kind of started Renaissance Rockworks together, and Mikey was the bass player on most of the tracks on our first two records. But Mikey passed away in 2017. It was a great loss for me because he was my best friend. And, uh, you know, he was such a big part of the beginnings of the Renaissance Rock Orchestra. But he and Greg Smith have always been very close friends. And when he passed away, uh, Mikey's widow gave Greg uh, some of Mikey Bones' basses that Greg plays occasionally and that, that he used on A Song of Hope also. So it was very special to have Greg become involved. But Greg lives out on the East Coast. And uh, he's been so involved with writing the new Ted Nugent record and recording that record that I wasn't able to bring him for our residency, our, our debut live show here in Las Vegas. So I brought in Tony Franklin from Whitesnake and The Firm, who played with Paul Rogers at The Firm. And, and oh my gosh, what, a, what an amazing thing to have Tony Franklin live with the band. Such a, he's also a brilliant, brilliant bass player. And uh, I sure, certainly do want to have Tony do some writing and uh, be on, on some of our records. He's not yet, but now that we have him, he's got one live show with us under his belt. Very exciting. And I think Tony's going to end up doing uh, some of a lot of our live shows here in Las Vegas, uh, just because of uh, Greg's schedule with Ted Nugent and a lot of other things he has going back East. Yeah. So, um, Who's making the music videos that you have on your YouTube channel? Is that also you? <laughs> oh my God. Uh, yes, that's me. Oh, <laughs> well, you have a lot of little... chops in that band. <laughs> uh, I, well, you know, for since I've been writing the music and recording the music and putting the whole thing together, I do wear every hat. You know, <laughs> it's been a really difficult, time-consuming, exhausting experience over many years now to build the show up to what it is now. I'm so glad that I'm now at the point that I have a management company in LA and I have an agent in Las Vegas and I have uh, Christina Avila from Avila Artist Productions and Promotions that, that handles a lot of, a lot of my uh, PR work and putting together interviews and podcasts. And, and she's actually the one that put together our deal with Kurt Call Records. She has just been amazing. Uh, she is the hardest working promoter I've ever known. She's so diligent and she works day and night to, to promote this band. She's done an amazing job. Uh, she's been with us now for six months. So finally, I'm at the point that I don't have to wear every hat. So it's nice to have people doing a lot of those jobs out there. But, you know, still, I'm still at the point where I'm the guy doing all the all the music videos. And uh, yeah, so I can't wait for that to get to the next point. Where, we, where the whole band can actually go into, you know, a sound studio and, and perform a song that we, that we use in a video. And of course, the other thing is now that we're starting to do a lot more live performances, there's going to be a lot more content available 
for us to use in our videos too. We'll be able to use a lot of the live stuff as we create this. But yeah, that's been quite an experience trying to trying to learn how to create a music video when you don't have very many resources to work with other than the song. And I, you know, I I don't know hardly anything about video, so I do it all on iMovie on my phone. So, and sometimes it takes me hours and hours and hours, you know, uh, this last year I decided it was time to really start building up the YouTube channel, trying to get some subscribers and followers on YouTube. And so I, I learned over a course of figuring out how do you start to go viral on YouTube that, you know, you have to create a lot of content and you need to post videos a couple times a week. So I try to post videos every Tuesday and every Friday. I will have another brand new video for you tomorrow on YouTube. So please go to Renaissance Rock Orchestra on YouTube and subscribe and see all the new music. And the cool thing about that is very soon, you know, in October, you're going to start to see a lot of uh, new live footage of us uh, performing our concerts here in Las Vegas. Yeah, that's pretty cool. And I'm, I'm really amazed that you are able to handle all of those jobs at once. Uh, Oh my gosh, it's, it's been a lot of work and I'm, I'm exhausted for working so hard at it for so many years now. You know, uh, it, it takes a lot out of you. Uh, it's yeah, so difficult. That. It's so difficult to gain traction, you know, to, to really start gaining uh, a lot of followers and, and, you know, between the social media, which I still do the majority of, you know, whether it's Instagram or Facebook, I still handle all of that. But I think we're in a position where, soon and probably within the next six months because of the uh the budget issues and the profits that we'll start to make from our residency i i think i'll be able to hire people to start handling all the social media i actually did have a, a gal i have a group of gals that help me with that occasionally but it was kind of a funny thing i don't know if you guys over there remember do you know charlie's angels do you know the movie charlie's angels or the tv show charlie's angels yeah right do you remember that <laughs> Yeah. yeah, yeah, the old, old TV show. And of course, now there's the new movies uh, with Kirsten. What's her name? I can't remember. But uh, so right, a, a few months before I started deciding to put the show together, which kind of came together in a, in a strange fashion through my agent, Brian Towers, here in Las Vegas, <clears throat> BT Entertainment, Brian Towers Entertainment. And so... Uh, because of COVID and a lot of constraints because Las Vegas wasn't completely open. I was just trying to research things. And I had been starting negotiations at the beginning of this year with several different venues that I was hoping to get a residency with. And I had been negotiating with a couple different venues for months and months and months. And uh, for different reasons, uh, they fell through. A lot of times with casinos, when you get to the bottom line, there's a lot of different issues involved that have to do with, with union sound guys, union light guys, uh, bar staff, cocktail waitresses, a lot of things like that. So I ended up finding out that some of my contracts that I'd been working on for months had these tiny little clauses in there that, that you didn't see until you actually saw the contract that said that you were responsible for paying all the, the bar staff uh, like 80 grand a month. So that didn't work out in the end. And then Notoriety Live, the place we ended up playing on Fremont Street here in Las Vegas, became available. And I knew that some of my 
my friends and associates from another show here in Las Vegas called Rating the Rock Vault had done a show there during COVID. So I started uh, having meetings with them and it ended up working out that we it turned out to be a pretty good deal for us to do a debut. It's a beautiful venue. I love it. I think the band looked great there. And you can see some of those videos, uh, little short clips at this point from that live debut on YouTube. You can see those two already there. But during that period of time, I was so involved, basically a single-handed venture with Greg trying to deal with the venue and the agent and the management company and all of the advertising involved to try to make sure that you could fill it with an unknown band that people knew that, that, that it was happening, all the artwork that was done by Damian Valentine and trying to get that all printed into posters and, and all, all the different things involved. It was, it was crazy. I was spending 18 hours a day, some days just on the phone, talking to social media people and Facebook people and publicists and radio people trying to decide how to make this show be, become a success. But during that period of time, some gals that I call my Charlie's Angels that had been friends and fans of mine for years, kind of stepped up to the plate and started doing a lot of work for me. So there was a period of time there uh, where for several weeks, I was not doing any of the posts on Instagram or on Facebook, but uh, they were handling that. So thank you, Sherry, mostly. Sherry, thank you for all your work and, and Helen. And uh, Serene, Serene, one of my Charlie's Angels that lives in Seattle came down and handled all of our merch at the live show. And she's been doing that for bands and, and touring with bands doing merch for years and years. So, so Serene and Sherry handled the brunt of most of all that. And I'm uh, very, very uh, grateful to our Charlie's Angels. Ha, 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 ha. <laughs> <laughs> um, you mentioned earlier that you're working on new material already. Do you already yes. have any plans when that's going to be released or when you're going to start recording it? No. And part of the reason for that is because there's so much going on, so much negotiation right now. I'm putting so much energy into doing this live show and getting this residency happening. And so, so that's taking a lot of my time dealing with agents and venues and trying to figure out the future of our, our live concert series here in, in Las Vegas is, is uh, you, you only have so much time. You only have so much energy to expend. And uh, that's making it difficult for me to, to finish a lot of this, a lot of these songs that I'm working on. And I'll be honest, you know, it's unusual. I'm in a, in a place right now with the new material where I'm having a difficult time trying to get the lyrics and the music to come together. And that's kind of rare on a song of hope on in times of old, all those songs seem to be much simpler to bring together the music and the lyrics. Somehow they just fit. So I'm kind of, uh, I'm at this, uh, this not a crossroads, but I'm at a, a point where I'm a little bit frustrated with bringing the new lyrics and the new music together. And I know it's going to happen and probably it will happen when I have a chance to really devote all my time creatively to just that, where I don't have all these other things going on in my mind about getting the live show together, making sure my, my musicians are available and they're not out on tour with other artists things, things like that. And also at the same time, I'm, uh, I'm spending a lot of time with my uh, production manager, Mark Dombacher, uh, to, to continue working on this show that we're creating for, for the residency here, uh, creating different things with QLab and Dante and a lot of software that, that is really quite complex to make sure that the lights 
the show, our projection show, when we play live, we have kind of a, a brilliant, a uh, pr brilliant projection show going on in the background that uh, is background videos that fit all the music that we do, all of our originals that uh, a lot of times with the originals, I, I use a projection that will actually be one of our YouTube videos because a lot of people are familiar with it. And I've spent a lot of time creating it. But on a lot of the other songs, see, part of what we do in the residency at this point is we do a lot of uh, epic rock hits. My concept for this is, you know, the Renaissance Rock Orchestra is supposed to be a renaissance of rock, trying to continue uh, bring back classic rock and I keep it alive. And so what I try to do is I write symphonic renditions with strings, strings, quartets. They're actually written for full orchestras. We just haven't got to the point yet where I can have a chamber orchestra or a, you know, a 24 piece orchestra yet. And, and, but yes, that's my vision of course, with where this will go. And I think we will probably always do that even when we're almost we're, when we're to the point that we're doing mostly Renaissance rock orchestra music, at this point, it's about half and half. And uh, so we play our own material and we also do these symphonic uh, arrangements that I've arranged of songs like Cashmere by Led Zeppelin, uh, Dream On by Aerosmith, uh, Time by Pink Floyd, things that are really, truly those epic, epic, so huge, timeless classic rock hits that that I that people love and they love hearing them, particularly having them done a new way with on a new level symphonically with with an orchestra and a symphony. You know, I also have another vision that we will take this project out to different symphony orchestras around the world to collaborate with them because symphonies are always trying to make uh, their their current material and what they're doing well more current. They're 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 trying to. To, to do things that, that uh, bring in rock. And you know, over the, the last several years, there's been a lot of orchestras that have done the music of Pink Floyd, that have done the music of Led Zeppelin. And so that's a perfect scenario for Renaissance Rock Orchestra, not only to do our material with their orchestras, but to bring in my rock stars, you know, to bring in people from ACDC and Guns N' Roses and White Snake uh, to perform with their orchestras, and I think they're going to be excited to to do that to to really make what they're offering their clientele and uh, their fan base uh, something really current and, and very musical. So, what do you think? That sounds fun, don't you think? Yeah, it definitely sounds fun. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I think so. And I think it's going to be fun for all the musicians involved as well, and yeah, for the fans. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. Definitely. Can't wait to hear that. <laughs> yeah, we'll get there eventually. You know, we'll, we'll start with the residency first. And uh, but to finish uh, answering your question about the music, a, uh, I think that probably what's going to happen here is as I write this material, I think this time around, I'm going to start releasing everything on an individual basis. You know, CDs and albums are not quite so important anymore in this digital world of streaming, right? So as I continue to release singles from A Song of Hope, which will probably take another four months, my hope is that, you know, by month five, I will have the first new song 
completed and recorded so that I could release it. And that another two months after that, I could release another new song off the new record. So that's kind of my plan. Well, yeah. we'll see if I'm able to pull that off with uh, trying to put together a live show. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, that's a lot of work, but I'm sure you can do it considering how much work you've already done with this band. Yeah. <laughs> it is a lot of work, but I enjoy yeah. it very much. And of course, it's it's my passion. It's my dream. And uh, the, the music uh, coming from within me, it's, it's uh, my greatest joy in life to create it. And, I'm so blessed to have people appreciate it and, and love it as much as they do. So yeah, thank you so much for, for making sure that people in Germany hear it. And so well, uh, I say thank I you to you for coming on the show. I really appreciate it. It's been a lot of fun talking with you. Absolutely. And, yeah. Uh, yeah. Please everybody go to Instagram, follow Renaissance rock orchestra. Uh, I do a lot of fun things on Instagram. There's something about Instagram that, that so I seem to post a lot more there than I do on Facebook. Although now with our new relationship with Curtain Call Records and, and the things that, that they are posting and the, the digital distribution that they're providing for us worldwide, they're doing a lot of posts that end up on our Facebook, uh, Facebook page too. So, but yeah, every Tuesday and Friday, tomorrow morning, I'll have a new video for you on, on YouTube. So go check that one out too. And hopefully we'll be able to post this one too, right? Yeah, <laughs> well, yeah. I'll send you a link as soon as I have everything posted up. And I'll send it Beautiful. to Christina as well so she, so she can promote it. And also put yeah. all the links to your Instagram and Facebook, etc. Put everything Thank in the description really. so people just awesome. have to click on the link and then they can, can go watch it. Beautiful, and I'll do the same thing with yours too. I'll, I'll put, put all of your links to, to all of your pages. And, and Thank so, you. <laughs> absolutely, of course. It's a win-win situation. Yeah, definitely. And it's really fun talking to you because it's so obvious how passionate you really are about music and how much you love what you do. And that's just really beautiful. And it's really cool stories as well. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. There's going to be a lot more cool stories as this thing goes on. So make sure you pay attention to what's going on in Renaissance Rock Orchestra world, everybody. And uh, uh, we're going to have a lot of great music and a lot of surprises. And I can't wait to come to Europe and to play for you live and to meet you. Yeah. <laughs> can't wait yeah. for that either maybe we should uh -huh. do another interview when you have your new record out and then i can have vince come on as well because he was supposed cool. to co-host today that sounds um, fine i'd love yeah. to that would be great yes right awesome so i just want to say thank you again i can't say it often enough <laughs> that sounds sounds very good uh I tend to go on and on and on because I'm so passionate about what I do yeah. and, and the history, the history of the band and the things I've done in my life. So I apologize for, for being such a blabbermouth. No, that's ah. totally fine. I, I love hearing your stories. So ah. that's completely ah. cool. Ah. <laughs> ah. Well, it's such a real pleasure. Thank you so much for having me on. You're very, very welcome and uh, have a great day. I think it's morning for you, right? So yeah, yeah. <laughs> We're, we're starting to get towards noonish here, I think, at this point. I think we're, it yeah. might be 11 o'clock. I'm not sure how long I talked. That's <laughs> a bit more, more than an hour now. <laughs> Is it really? Wow. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Uh, well, I, I tend to do that. I do have a lot to talk about. Yeah, but it's cool with me. <laughs> awesome. Thank you, guys. We really look forward to meeting you all, and uh, thank you for me listening. Too. Please spread the word and tell all your friends about Renaissance Rock Orchestra and, 
get them to go subscribe on YouTube and Instagram and everything. And uh, I look forward to talking with you again, Lily. Me too. I look forward to it too. <laughs> All right. Bye-bye. Okay. Bye.